Now this afternoon, I want to bring you a message entitled, Self-Surrender. At first, you may wonder what this message has to do with end-time events. Since I have repeatedly stated that I only plan to speak on preparations for the end-time. But I assure you that you will not be disappointed, for we all need to realize that you may know all about the New World Order and all about the papacy, what it is planning to rule the world in order that Lucifer may present himself as God to this world and lead the entire world in a fight against God Almighty. You may know and understand these last day events, but if you have not positively made certain your personal surrender to Jesus Christ, you have already been captured by the prince of this world. And so I bring you a text to think about this afternoon from God's word, my son, my daughter, give me thine heart. Recently, I was doing some very serious reading and my mind was captivated as I read the following from the Review and Herald of January 12, 1905, in which she said these words, self-surrender is the keynote to the teachings of Jesus Christ. The more I meditated upon this, the more it made sense. For I have found that it is the foundation upon which Christ has built every discourse. His one purpose on earth was to restore eternal life to every believer. But he divinely knew that in order to accomplish this love, he must enter and control the heart. And this is the most important subject that we must understand and experience if we are to be prepared for his soon coming. So let's take a look at one of the Savior's teachings which was read, which I think we will discover has to do with self-surrender. Let me read it again to you, Matthew 12, 43. When the unclean spirit, now that's talking about a devil, isn't it? When an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and he findeth none. Then he saith, now what does this devil say? I will return unto my house from whence I am come out. And when he has come, lo and behold, something has happened. He findeth it empty. He findeth it swept. He findeth it garnished. Oh, there are new carpets on the floor. The windows have been shined. The deck, the tile work, everything has been fixed up. It's all been painted. It's in beautiful shape. And so what does he do? He goeth and taketh with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. 
Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. You know how well I remember my early days of evangelism. The conference would move me from one place to another just as soon as an effort was finished and the tent came down and the souls were baptized. I remember, if I remember correctly, that we moved ten times in less than three years and it wasn't easy for those were the war years and housing was very difficult. When you have a wife and a small child, a place to live is a must. And so we often went house hunting when the tent came down. When I came to a new city, the first thing I did was look at the newspaper and I found absolutely nothing. Then I would call the utility companies the gas, the electricity, the water. Has anybody had a shutoff lately? They've moved away. There was nothing. I actually would go to the mortuary. Has anybody died? Is there a house possibly that is vacant? Couldn't find anything. Then Dean and I would get into our car and we would drive up and down every street, north and south, east and west, looking for those telltale signs of an empty house. And somehow, an empty house will always advertise itself. The lawn hasn't been cut for days, and there are dry spots that haven't been watered. There are newspapers that are rolled up with a rubber band here and there, on the porch and in the brush. You know, there's something about an empty house when you go up to it and you ring the bell or you knock that echoes with a hollow sound. You know, when I would hear that sound, I would almost jump. It made no difference what kind of house. I was ready to move into anything. And so I would then go around through the brush and I... I would peek in through a crack in the vine, in the, in the, uh, those uh, things that were over the window, and I would uh, try to see, and sure enough, I would see a little tear in the shade, and there I would notice that the house was empty. I would almost run to the neighbors. Who owns this house? How can I get in touch with them? Those were desperate years. I remember one time the truck had arrived and the driver was not very happy. He had other schedules to meet. Our furniture was all in the truck and I was desperate. We had looked everywhere. Finally, I went out into the country about four or five miles out. And we were looking and we found a brand new house that had been built. I went up and sure enough, I touched the doorknob and it opened. It was beautiful. I'd never lived in a house that nice. We went to some nearby farmers and who, do, who owns it? Nobody knew anything about it. Well, those were some of the foolish days in my life. We called the truck and we moved in. <laughs> Ten days later, I found the owner and thank God he rented the house to me, although he had planned to sell it. You see, a, a house that is vacant is one that invites you. Now back to the scripture. 
As Christ tells of the devil going house hunting, he comes to his same house that he had been kicked out of, been pushed out. It's cleansed. It's been painted. There's new carpets. Everything is beautiful, ready for occupation, but most of all, it is empty. And so he goes out and gets seven other devils, and they come in to the house. Now this is a graphic picture told from the master's lips. It's a story of a man's battle with evil. He becomes aware of a hated guest within his heart. He longs to be free, for he knows he's in bondage. So he arises, and in his own might, he pushes this man, this devil, right out of his heart. But lo and behold, he finds out in a few days that he is in greater bondage than he was before. Why? Why did he fail? May I ask you, why have you failed? It is not because of indifference to the evil. It was not because this man didn't want a better life. It was not because he lacked effort, for he exercised such apparent willpower that he literally pushed the devil right out of his heart. Apparently, he gained a victory, but he failed. Tell me, why? Because he used the wrong technique. First, he, ex he fixed his mind on the evil to be expelled rather than on the good to take its place. And that's a fatal blunder. And then secondly, he attempted a house cleaning without God's help. And that is a fatal blunder. He attempted to clean the house in his own strength. And thirdly, he failed to let Jesus take possession of his empty house. And that is a fatal blunder. You see, when you have Jesus in your heart, I'm talking plain now. When the devil knocks at your heart's door, the Lord goes to the door. And when the door is open, the devil sees who's in the heart. He says, oh, excuse me. I'm at the wrong place. And he flees. I want to make this clear today that we are dealing with devils, real devils in our everyday living. Emptiness in itself is a sin. Remember James, the fourth chapter 17? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, no amounts of don't will never save you. If you have an adding machine, you can stand there all day and push those ciphers a hundred times, a thousand times, if possible, a million times. And when you get ready to get the total and you press that button, all you get is a negative. You have absolutely nothing. And the trouble is today that we watch too much these pharisaical people 
who pride themselves in saying, I don't do this and I don't do that, but they are never able to point to some wonderful single positive good. All they say is, I'm not so bad, I am as good as brother so-and-so or as sister so-and-so. I don't do anything wrong. And this is one of the most damning sins of this last generation. The sin of merely doing nothing. You remember in Christ's parable of the judgment, he was against that man who had not done any positive right and his talent was taken away. He was flung into darkness because he failed to use his talent for good. And then there is the record of that fig tree. You remember? Why did Christ curse it and destroy it? Not because it bore some poisonous fruit, because it bore no fruit at all. And you remember those five foolish virgins? The door was shut in their face. Not because they had been antagonistic with the bridegroom, but because they had no oil in their lamps. One of the most insidious sins of our day is to never take an aggressive stand for the right. You see, emptiness is a passive sin, but it leads to aggressive sin. An empty house invites the intruders. <clears throat> it bears a sign, come on in, I'm empty. The picture so graphically portrayed by Christ of the devil coming back into the heart and bringing seven other demons with him tells us why so many who join in an evangelistic meeting are not with us today and why so many slip into a worse condition after the excitement of a revival. They have not filled up the empty house. In the book Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 1, 320, Ellen White puts it in these words, self must die and Christ must take possession of the soul temple. And that is why he pleads in that book of Psalms so beautifully. With tears in his eyes, he says, give me thy heart. Why? Because he knows if we surrender that he can take possession of our minds and he can give us a new heart. I was intrigued as Sister White made this so simple in manuscript 36, 1891. She says, what is the new heart? Now, we're not talking about this muscle that's pounding back and forth. What does he say? What is the new heart? It is a new mind. And then she says, what is the mind? And then she adds, it is the will. And then she asks, where is your will? It is either on Satan's side or Christ's side. Now it is up to you. Will you put your will today on Christ's side? This is the new heart. It is the new will. 
a new mind. And then she quotes from this scripture, A new heart will I give thee. So let us begin right here. Conversion is simple. Very simple, she adds. You see, self-surrender has to do with your will. Conversion has to do with the will. It's very simple, but yet it is not very easy. In Mount of Blessings, page 141, the greatest battle that was ever fought by man is the surrender of self to the will of God, the yielding of the heart to the sovereignty of love. I like that. You know, to give our heart to love, it's a beautiful thought. In manuscript 1285-3, God asks us to sink self in Christ. For the natural man, this is not easy. You see, there is a dogma being taught in our churches today by a number of expositors that it's easy to be saved than to be lost. But this is only a half-truth. Anyone hoping to find salvation by depending on a half-truth can easily be lost just as one who hopes to be saved on a half-surrender theology. God would have all men to be saved, and he made provision on Calvary's cross for this. If, if they would meet the conditions for salvation by repentance and self-surrender. Let's face it. Man cannot earn salvation. It's a free gift. But if man is too indolent to seek the surrender that Jesus calls for, the end result is to refuse salvation. In manuscript 1375-11, man is allotted a part in the great struggle for everlasting life. He must respond to the working of the Holy Spirit. It will require a struggle to break through the power of darkness. The spirit works in him to accomplish this. But man is no passive being to be saved in indolence. He is called upon to strain every muscle and exercise every faculty in the struggle for immortality. So the problem is self. And it's a big problem. Review and Herald, September 29, Ellen White said in 1905, self is to be subdued. Every thought, every word, every act is to be brought into obedience to the will of Christ. You know, that's a challenge, at least for me. And then she adds, and she says it three times, self, 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 how it struggles for the supremacy. Clearly the old self is the limiting factor in our salvation. In Desire of Ages 324, unless we yield ourselves to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. 
it is not necessary for us to deliberately choose the service of the kingdom of darkness in order to come under its dominion. We have only to neglect to ally ourselves with the kingdom of light. Now you think that true. It's not hard to be lost. The truth is it's easy to be lost. Did you note those words? We have only to neglect to ally ourselves to heavenly agencies. And then she illustrates it. In manuscript 2, 1858, it says, Evil grows of itself, and when once it has taken root, it thrives. But good has to be continually nourished and cherished in order to live. Evil is like a weed in the garden that needs no nourishing, but will grow rank. Unless the precious plants are constantly cherished and dug about, the weeds rise higher than the precious plants, shutting out the sun, and they grow sickly and die. Now, as I study with you today, look in your own Christian life. Is there a reason you're not as strong as you ought to be? Are you nourishing the Christian part? On the other hand, it is easy to be saved if we surrender to Jesus. When we yield to him our will, salvation is easy. In Review and Herald 12, 1882, she said, Why is it so hard to lead a humble, self-denying life? Because Christians are not dead to the world. It's easy living after we are dead to sin. I want to repeat that. It's easy living after we are dead to sin. What a sublime thought. But please, do not conclude that the upward path is hard and the downward path is easy. For all along the road that leads down to death, God has placed stop signs. There are pains, there are penalties, there are sorrows, there are disappointments. These are God's warnings. Stop! Where are you going? In Mount of Blessings 139, God's love has made it hard for the heedless and the headstrong to destroy themselves. In, in the Signs of the Times, July 20, 1888, let no one talk of an easy religion. Let no one imagine that the path to heaven is smooth and pleasant and that there is nothing to do but to believe. We are to be workers together with God and through diligent, painstaking efforts alone can the conditions of the promise be met. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Have not some of you mistaken the way and taken the wrong path? Shall we not search carefully and see whether or not we have real Bible religion? I think our Savior settled this easy versus hard question centuries ago. Remember what he said? Strive 
to enter in at the straight gate. And would to God that you and I would comprehend this battle for the mind. Now I'm going to become very serious with you. And I want to get you to doing some real thinking for a moment. And what I'm about to say is not a lecture on how to train up small children. But I want you to realize that the problem that we face starts when we are babes in the arms. There are few of us that seem to realize that the devil actually begins his dastardly work by occupying the life of a tiny infant. And unless the parent is determined to control the will of a child for Christ, this is the beginning of the problem. Notice now what Elder White says about this. Selected Messages 117, Book 3. The great principles that are to be carried out in training children from the babe in the arms. The enemy will work right through little children unless they are disciplined. Someone disciplines them. If the mother or the father does not do it, the devil does it. That is how it is, for he takes control. You know, that little precious little bundle, beautiful little child. We somehow don't realize that the devil is already starting his program. Listen to this in Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 150. The mother's work begins with the babe in her arms. I have often seen the little one throw itself and scream. It would if its will was crossed in any way. This is the time to rebuke the evil spirit. What was our text we read? It was of demo, devils, an evil spirit. He went out and got seven other demons. It says the enemy will try to control the mind of our children, but should we allow him to mold them according to his will? These little ones cannot discern what spirit it's in, is influencing them. And it is the duty of the parents to exercise judgment and discretion for them. I'm talking about babies that are just a couple of months old, tiny infants. In Great Controversy 280, I'm sorry, in Child Guidance 289. She said, I tremble for mothers as I see them so blind and feeling so little the responsibilities that dissolve upon a mother. They see Satan working in the self-willed child, even but a few months old, filled with spiteful passion. Satan seems to be taking them by full possession. Now notice one more, how clearly Satan is stated. This is again from Child Guidance 272. The mother must fight the battle of that child which he cannot fight for himself. This is her work, to rebuke the devil, to see God, seek God earnestly, and never let Satan 
take her child right out of her arms and place them in his arms. Now, if that isn't graphic. I remember once when our little daughter was just a little tiny infant, just a few weeks old, and I noticed something I had never seen before in that little one. And she was screaming and screaming. And I went over and I paddled her little bottom. My wife just about died. <laughs> that little infant. But I want to tell you, she never did it again in all of her life. Now you think it through. Selected Messages 3, 225. Ellen White wrote concerning her experience with her own children and other children. Just as soon as a child in my care would begin to show passion and throw himself on the floor, he never did it but once. I want to tell you, I would not let the devil work right through that child and take possession of it. Now, if the devil does that with little children and infants, what in the world do you think he's trying to do with you and an adult? I want to tell you, we need the power of God. We are dealing with demons. An evil demon controls you. Just how is it possible for Satan to gain control? In the use of structure, Mark 30, 18, 90 through, she says, not by repentance, not by confession, not by surrender to God, but by surrendering more and more to the world. Now, how do we invite Christ's control? This is the question that we should be concerned with. You know it as well as I do. Romans 6, 16, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself, servants to obey. His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You see, we invite Christ to control by yielding to him in obedience. And I don't know whether you're aware of it or not, but you will find today that all new theology never mentions repentance. It never mentions obedience. In letter 138, 1889, God accepts nothing less than absolute surrender of the mind, the heart, the will, the strength, the entire being. I see some children here today, and for their illustration, and maybe for yours, suppose you're going house hunting, and you find the dream house. It's for rent, and it's the price that you can pay. And when the lady gets into the kitchen, she just about faints. She's never been anything so beautiful. And when you go into the bedroom, and there is that bath. I don't know what it is about a bath that attracts a woman, but it's just what she wants. And the living room and the dining room and the family room, oh, it's just beautiful. And you notice that as you go down the hall, as the lady has shown you every room in the house, there's one that she doesn't show you. And you say, by the way, you passed that door. What's in there? Oh, she said, that's where we keep the pet lion. 
<laughs> Would you rent a house if you knew there was a lion in just a little flimsy door? You'd be a fool. When you invite Jesus in your heart, is there a little corner of a room in your heart for a demon? Do you think that Jesus Christ is going to take your heart if he doesn't have all of it? I'm trying to make this clear. I'm trying to make it simple to you. In Youth Instructor, February 2, 1893, to be a Christian, we must have absolute surrender of our all to God. In Review and Herald, January 12, self-surrender, remember, is the keynote of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so this battle is real, but we must remember that the soul that is under Satan's control, the Holy Spirit cannot indwell nor control the mind. The Holy Spirit can only speak and woo from the outside, entreating. In like manner, Satan cannot control the heart if it is in surrendered to an indwelling of Christ. He can, however, tempt from the outside. But unless we choose to indulge in his temptation, he can never control you. The control of the mind depends upon the choice we make as individuals. Everything depends on the right action of the will. Whether it is for the control of a small child or for the control of an adult, the battle is real as the battle fought by earthly armies. Our minds are battlefields every day. There is nothing that the great deceiver fears so much as we shall become acquainted with his devices. And so it's very important that we resist the devil. Desire of Ages 257, those who turn from the plain teachings of scripture are inviting the control of demons. Simple common sense, logic, dictates that if we desire to expel the control of demons and to invite Christ to take control, we must do the very opposite. And she says this, we must turn to instead of from the plain teachings of scripture. We must turn to the commandments rather than depart from them. We must pray and search the scriptures rather than neglect them. In Desire of Ages 324, she adds, unless we yield ourselves to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. So let us beware. Satan is watching that he may find an unguarded moment and get possession of us. This is why we need to be on our knees. This is why we need to be praying. In Manuscript 31, 1911, I'm sorry. In Christ Object Lessons 154, we are told some of the things that we must be aware of. And I'm going to begin with pride. 
There is nothing so offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as pride and self-sufficiency. Of all the sins, it is the most hopeless and the most incurable. Now this may shock you. In Testimony to Ministers 441, let no one deceive his own soul in this matter. If you harbor pride, then she illustrates self-esteem, a love for supremacy, vain glory, unholy ambition, murmuring, discontent, bitterness, evil speaking, lying, deception, and slandering. You have not Christ abiding in your heart. You have the mind and the character of Satan. I'm talking straight. I want to see you all in the kingdom, brothers and sisters. These are things that the devil is trying to get us today. It says in Testimonies to Ministers 456, None but God can subdue the pride of a man's heart. Let pride be crucified. And what about lust? You know, it seems to be becoming the greatest temptation of the Satan today. And it is the opposite of moral purity. Remember, please, by beholding, we become changed. In a letter 102, the purity, the holiness of the life of Jesus is presented from the word of God. It possesses more power to reform and transform the character than all the efforts put forth in picturing the sins and crimes of men. One steadfast look to the Savior, uplifted upon the cross, will do more to purify your mind and heart from every defilement than will all the scientific explanations by the ablest tongue. No wonder Sister White said we ought to go to Calvary an hour a day and look and see what sin costs and the love of God. This brings me back to lust again. As we turn away, we must turn from pornography. And it's all around us today. These lurid scenes as pictured on television screens and the theater and pictured in the music that has been geared by Satan to make your passions to be aroused. I want to tell you there is no place for many of these videos today. I saw some Seventh-day Adventists the other day go in and came out of a store with a pack that much. I don't think you'll find anything educational from where they came from. This brings me back to the power of the will. Let no one say I cannot remedy my defects of character. If you come to this decision, you will certainly fail of obtaining everlasting life. The impossibility lies in your will. 
again in my life today. She says, the conversation we have with our, at the fireside, the books we read, the business we transact, all are agents informing our characters and day by day decide our, in, our eternal destiny. And what about Jesus? What about anger and hatred and uncontrolled temper? I'm talking about things that are so prevalent around us today. And use instructor, November 10, 1886. Some are nervous if they begin to lose self-control in word or in spirit under provocation. They are as much intoxicated with wrath as the inebriate is with liquor. They are unreasonable and not easily persuaded or convinced. They are not sane. You know, we're hearing today of some terrible crimes that are being committed. And these people are filled with wrath when they do it. And we are told that we become insane. That Satan has control if we don't allow Christ to have control. In the mind, again, this book that I'm reading from here, the character and the personality, those who at any provocation feel at liberty to indulge anger are opening the heart to Satan. You know, recently, it just comes before me all the time. I sat in a meeting in our church where the president of this conference and his associate and two other ministers nearby with the pastor stood there and told me that I could never speak anymore to our people in this conference. And then they told me they could not find anything wrong with my preaching as far as preaching the truth, but that I was preaching things that the people ought not to hear. That I was talking about books that are being printed that have false doctrines in them. That I was talking about things that were being preached from the pulpit that were doctrines of devils. And I want to tell you, I stood there and I thank God I never said a word. It's not easy. And I remember sitting in the last board meeting of my church and the pastor lied to me in front of the board, but I didn't retaliate. This is the kind of experience, praise God, that we must come to in these closing hours of this world's history in learning how to allow the Lord to have control of our minds and to be faithful and loving and true. Ms. Nelson and I every day pray for our pastor. We pray for the president of this conference and his workers that somehow God 
will open up their eyes to see that they cannot keep the truth from being preached today. We must be faithful. We must be careful about anger. Ellen White said that she was talking of a young girl who revealed hatred to her parents. She said, an evil demon controls you. Volume 2, page 82 of the Testimonies. So let us somehow look for victory in our lives. First, to see and acknowledge our sins, to strive to correct every evil, to pray, to repent, to seek, to die to self, to submit our will and our way to God and to be reconciled to God and to be converted and experience a thorough reformation which brings about a transformation and a renewing of our mind and your sincere repentance will be accepted before God. Never forget it. In Review and Herald, November 9, you may commune with Christ. He will be within you. This is true religion. All else is deception and a delusion. Did not Paul said, I cry, I, I am crucified with Christ. And he said, I die daily. And this is what we must do. The key to self-surrender is in your will, the governing power. I like what it says in Steps to Christ 47. What you need to understand is the true force of your will. This is the governing power in the nature of man. The power of decision, of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. And in choosing God's way, you will ally yourself with divine power as you cooperate with divinity it will provide you with the impossible messages to young people 101 as the will of man cooperates with the will of God it becomes omnipotent and when you think what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all power is given to me in heaven and earth, and you are joining with that power. And I want to tell you, you can have victory. Don't look at the mountain. Look to God. He can remove it. I don't care whether it's anger or hatred or uncontrollable temper or passion or forbidden pleasure or drink, or tobacco, or jewelry, or dancing, you can name it. It's a matter for omnipotence. And this power is yours, the power of God, and you can have victory. I'd like to close with a little illustration 
God knows we are feeble, but he also is watching for those who will be trying to reach for his power. The father and the little boy sat in the room. Mother was in the hospital. They were eating supper. And the father drank the last bit of the cup of water. And as he was drinking, the little boy recognized that there was no more. And he said, Daddy, I want to fill your cup. And he rushed across that floor with his bare feet. There was no plumbing. There was the crock of water. And there was a ladle hanging on the wall. And he reached up and his little bare front here was rubbing against the wall. As he reached up and he could only touch it with his finger, but he was trying. And the father was so delighted. He rushed over and picked up the little boy, and he lifted him in his arms. The little boy took the ladle, reached down into the crock, rushed over to his father's cup, and of course you know what happened to the water, it was all over the floor. There was just a couple of drops left. But the father drank it and said, this is the sweetest water I have ever drunk. And I want to tell you, if you will try with all your might, as that little fellow did on your tiptoes, reaching up to God, God will reach down and take you, and he will give you that great power of omnipotence that you may have victory in self-surrender, ready to meet Jesus when he comes.